Hello and welcome to NDA, the show where I guess I argue with creators about the creator economy. Hello, welcome to NDA, the show where I, Dave Wiskus, talk to my friends within the creator economy and we argue about shit, I guess. I don't know. We uh, have have gentle disagreements and, and share our viewpoints. Today, I am fortunate enough that I am joined by the one and only Lindsay Ellis. Person you have argued with frequently. So it's like this podcast was made for me. <laughs> <laughs> this time we're recording it. So yeah. now it's content. We finally found a way to <laughs> monetize our frequent disagreements. Well, this is the whole thing. I've got all these amazing smart people around me that I'm in like a constant state of bickering with or disagreeing with or just, you know, and that, never anything malicious or uh, especially contentious, just like. Not everybody sees stuff the same way. We all have different perspectives. I think that's a good thing. And I'm much more interested in trying to capture that than I am in trying to be like, hey, look, we all have the exact same boring ideas. Let me sell you a course. This is not the top of my funnel for anything. Yeah. Okay. Let's argue. Round one. Ding. <laughs> Lindsay, you were gone for a minute. You took a little a little break. And then now you're back with this Nebula original about Lord of the Rings and hopefully more to come. Good to have you back. First Thank off. you. Thank you for having me. And a very strong reaction from the audience. People love this thing. I'm Genuinely, this is one of the most successful things we've ever done. It's incredible. Hell yeah. <laughs> you know, you got to get a little miss you a little bit is what I learned from Bruno Mars. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong. Truly, when I look at like the numbers behind the scenes, it's clear to me that the absence is felt and the return has a bigger impact because of it. Like, I don't think we just bring creators in to be like, yeah, you're just going to do Nebula stuff now and skip YouTube and have that be viable in the same way. Yeah. I'm getting a little too businessy here, but like you're you're helping to prove something for us that like I want to see that be possible. I didn't think we could get there for years to come. So it's really cool to watch. Well, I think I've got this unique combination of not having been making content for a while and pity. <laughs> So it's a hard, you know, je ne sais quoi to recapture. So I, I look forward to seeing if you're able to do that in the future. Because pity can get you a lot of clicks. Well, I think you have a very attached audience. I think so, too. It's getting kind of <laughs> tedious. Like I appreciate the concern, but it's getting to a point now, like every time somebody posts anything about me, like half the comments are like, I just want her to be feel better. I just want her to be happy. And I'm just like, guys, it's okay. Like just because I'm stepping out of the public eye does not mean I'm like crying in the shower every day. You're not withering in a closet. Yeah, at least not on Instagram, which is, I guess, where I spend most of my time nowadays. Yeah, I don't want to go into like, why did you leave the public? I mean, we, we know uh -huh. anybody's paying attention. So you've got to, I don't know, with what you went through, watching Twitter collapse has to feel good. Yeah. Another thing people don't seem to get is like, like not everybody wants attention or at least not everybody wants that much attention all of the time. And I was never super comfortable with it. So I was always planning to step back. It was always my plan to like transition to authordom. And with that transition, 
lose a huge chunk of like the people who are interested in my content because like a lot of people aren't going to be interested or, you know, a lot of times people who watch YouTube just aren't big readers and that's okay. The thing with the Twitter controversy and, you know, side note, I I forget who it was like Matt Walsh or somebody said something and Twitter was just like, people are reacting to Matt Walsh's blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Twitter called me controversial, but Matt (laughs) Walsh gets people are reacting and you want to tell me that Twitter doesn't have like a bias towards, you know, protecting right-wing fifis. Okay. But I just didn't want attention anymore. And like the Raya thing was just like the last straw because I realized that like, you know, people are never going to stop seeing me as like a tall poppy, regardless of like the validity of their anger (laughs) over whatever the thing is. And that was not super valid. It was not the first time it had happened and it wasn't going to be the last. And, you know, I just knew it was just never going to stop, you know, and I still have to live with this because, like, you know, I can't just completely retire. You know, I have a baby now. I need money. (laughs) Those things are expensive. Bills to pay. Yeah. And I still under contract for like another book. So like I can't just stop. I can't just abandon social media. That's just kind of the contract, especially in publishing. Like you have to keep your social media going. Like that's part of the deal now. But I, you know, at the same time, I didn't want like my personality to be a part of the brand anymore. Probably safer that way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I just don't, you know, and just like emotionally safer. I don't necessarily feel like my physical safety is any more or less different. Oh, no, that, that's what I meant. Like in terms of mental health, I think that you and I are both people who very much enjoy a lot of a very specific kind of attention and anything outside of that tends to be a little bit too much. And yeah. it can be really easy to misunderstand the line between the part that we enjoy and the part that is like, horrifying and overwhelming. Like if I go to a party full of people I know and I end up in a conversation or I'm holding court or if I'm getting attention, I love that shit. Or if I'm in an interview when I, when I did the thing with a decoder or, or situations like that on a panel, on a stage at a conference, I love that. If I'm at a party with people I don't know and people are interested in me and they want to talk to me, I'm horrified and I want to crawl under a rock. Yeah, no, I, I kind of feel that way too. And I guess this whole process has been kind of illustrative because, you know, there's a lot of people that like, I considered friends who don't really have much interest in me anymore now that I'm not really useful to them professionally. Hmm. And, you know, most of them were like influencer types. Yeah, yeah. And some of them were author types. You know, and it's just like something you always kind of have in the back of your head once you, you know, like ever since I started on the Internet doing things like 14 years ago, there's always this like niggling paranoia when people interact with you, like that they want something from you. They want like maybe for you to give them exposure or maybe they just want bragging rights or maybe they're someone that you could genuinely vibe and be friends with, you know, Mm. and it's kind of can be difficult to parse those things out. Or like in my case, I'm always paranoid that people just hate me, especially now more than ever. Like that's another reason why I feel like I could never go back on Twitter, at least as myself, because like we have my account back up, like it took forever because I was going to have my assistant run it. And now it's just kind of like, well, what's the point? (laughs) But it's very awkward now more than ever. Like before it was like interactions would kind of carry this undertone of like, what do you want from me? Now interactions carry this undertone of like, well, what have you heard? What is your preconceived Mm. notion? What was your opinion on the thing? Right, right. One of the biggest mistakes I made was like after my second book came out, I like went through my follows and then like saw all the people who had unfollowed me. And I was just stunned. I I could not believe that like this infraction would want them to end the relationship. That was where like I realized like it was over. Like at least that life I had built was just because like I was persona non grata for so many people, but I would never know who they were. 
unless I like went through them one by one. And that's just the worst thing you can do is just be like, okay, so are we not friends anymore? You know, because I know people (laughs) like that. It's been just so isolating. And on top of that, I was like pregnant at the time and nobody knew. And last year was horrible. (laughs) Pandemic bad. No shit. This is ringing so much more familiar to me than I expected it to. Mm -hmm. Before I did any of the YouTube or podcast shit, I had a fairly long, you know, relative to whatever career in the tech industry about 10 years or so of getting paid as a designer and as a public speaker. I was one of the first wave of iPhone app designers. And so whether I was any good or not almost didn't matter. I became popular and well-known because I was early and I was loud. And so I did a lot of public speaking and I was very well known in the community and I'd made some extremely well-connected friends. I was always sitting at the cool kids table and there was an entire collection of people that I had around me who I thought were my friends. And then a few years ago, I went through a thing. I was going through some stuff and I would show up to events with like, I'd bring a date that I shouldn't have brought and it was like super inappropriate and things got just a little bit weird. And it was just me trying to process who I was in this world. And it's kind of started with, I made a, a YouTube video actually about how the tech podcast culture was just like, Every show was two or three straight white dudes sitting around talking about their phone for two hours without any editing. It's like, why are we all doing the same thing? Maybe we could try finding new voices or or do interesting new things or play with new mediums. Like this YouTube thing seems like it might take off. And when I made that video, a bunch of people unfollowed me and a bunch of people oh. kind of like soft dropped me. And so I started going through this like emotional breakdown and doing some crazy shit. And then that led to more people dropping me. And in the end, I look back and there's only a handful of people from that era of my life that I still have regular contact with. Because for everybody else, I stopped being the guy who could get them access to like the cool, famous people. I wasn't useful anymore. Yeah, exactly. Like in industries like this, where there is just such overlap between your personal life and your professional life. Like for me, almost all of my friends to this day are YouTubers or authors or people who work on the side, like agents, researchers, stuff like that. And it is remarkable to really learn how disposable you are. Mm, Um, mm -hmm, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I think I'm I'm like, I don't want to say that like most of my friends stop talking to me. That's not true. Like most of my YouTuber friends, like the ones that I would publicly interact with on Twitter, you know, I still talk to like every day. But there were some that I guess I was like less close to that were just kind of like, okay, I'm going to duck and cover. I'm just, you know, there are a million of you. This is not really something I'm going to stick my neck out for. And so it's kind of a hard lesson for anyone in these spaces because inevitably there's this bleed. Like we were talking about this before we started recording, like every single person you've had on this show so far has been a client. So I was laughing at this like idea of like, oh, we're going to disagree. I'm like, yeah, but we can only disagree so much before. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that always true? We're not strangers. We can't come in, scream at each other and then never speak to one another again. I I know, but like, I feel like it kind of limits the level of honesty that, you know, if there's something I want to say or like even things that like might get us in trouble, like because Dave, I I feel like at this point, (laughs) I consider you family of a sort up to and including parts where there have been stretches of months at a time when we did not speak to each other more than once. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, there's always this sort of like understanding that the reasons why 
for a myriad reasons, you know, personal and professional, it should not be aired in public, oh, of course, uh, even of though course. like those those have been like our most virulent disagreements. And the more I do, you know, and the, and the further I go when I left, you know, Twitter and YouTube for good, there were just so many people that were just like like the first time they were like spreading like not falsehoods per se, but really misleading things. But the second time it was just like lie after lie or just like ignorant, like, you know, read it confidently wrong. And I was, you know, just dying to come in and like smack them down and correct them. And I even wrote a video. I hired a researcher. I wrote like 10,000 words that was going to be a coda. And then eventually I kind of realized like I have got to stop trying to control the narrative. You can influence it, but you can't control it. And you know, yeah. the more you put out there, the more ammo you're giving people. And having been through this enough times, wherever somebody airs something in public, it's just like drama fodder. People who do that sort of thing and say they don't regret it, either they're delusional or they're lying <laughs> to you, <laughs> you know. You made the classic mistake of being a woman on the internet. The, your mm -hmm. audience, I, I also think, is a little bit different from, say, like, I don't know, Renee Ritchie's audience mm -hmm. in topic and, and maybe composition, where when something like the tweet thing happens for you versus, like, some random white dude who talks about iPhones on camera, the audience response to those two things is going to be different. And so there are plenty of people, I think, who could say a thing, get a little bit of heat for it, and then laugh it off and not have it really be a big deal. Not because they are better or smarter, but just because like their whole life has made that okay. Yeah. And I think in the case of the Twitter thing, this is kind of known and understood is like the controversy was started and fueled by women. And you're still vulnerable to your own group mm. regardless because it's like a lot of the dirt they had on me came from like male dominated spaces like, you know, 4chan and Kiwi Farms. But like the actual outrage itself was mostly women. And, you know, this is just something I see over and over. Like this is not new to Twitter. Like Natalie referred to an essay written in the 1970s about like, you know, the feminist movement in the 1970s. It's called Trashing, The Dark Side of Sisterhood by Joe Freeman. Totally didn't have someone just look that up for me. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, she uh, basically is describing pretty identical phenomenon to stuff that happens in like not just social justice progressive spaces, but like fandom spaces is really bad where someone does some minor infraction that somehow goes against the revolution. And all of a sudden, you know, there's a big dog pile against them. When you take a step back, is this really a, a proportionate response and 10 times out of 10 the answer is no well in your case i think the the uncharitable perspective would be your audience was a woke mob and the moment they had something they could attack of course the the woke mob could turn on you oh i've seen that so many times and it's just absolutely infuriating like because it was not my audience like it was absolutely not my audience that started it uh, or because i didn't lose any subscribers i gained patrons like you know the, the, <laughs> these were not my people and the reason I'm, I'm reacting to this is like this was a narrative that was spun by like roaming millennial and like Sargon and people like that. Like this was a narrative that was like propagated and pushed by right wing reactionary types and other people centrist heard it and were like, yeah, that makes sense. And that was another thing I wanted to address because it was just like so frustrating. I'm like, I'm not saying I didn't lose any fans like I lost you know, maybe 
half of a percent, but there wasn't this like mass unsubscribing. No, I think it's a conflation of a couple of things. The, the YouTubers and social media people tend to misunderstand the difference between the audience and their audience. Mm -hmm. There might be a large number of people who are aware of you who are not part of your core audience. And I think that's yeah, where we yeah, saw exactly. the reaction from. You know, because that's like just one of these things like I, I saw someone describe it as like the bitch eating crackers syndrome, uh, where it's just <laughs> like... There's this bitch on the other side of the room. I don't know who she is, but she's eating crackers really loudly and I hate her. And the second you find some reason to get her out of the room, you do. No, you don't know why she's eating uh, okay. crackers loud. Okay, okay. Someone, I think, correctly identified it as that. It's like a most of the people that went after me didn't really know who I was or like they did, but like, you know, thought I was overexposed, had a lot of it, you know, a platform I didn't really deserve or had done a lot of cringe in the past or, you know, was tone deaf about certain issues. And it was just a fun thing for them to do that day. <laughs> and that's why I, I was like, it, the, the only hesitation I have really talking about this is that I just, I cannot handle it with grace. You know, I can't be Dolly Parton about it, <laughs> you know, because I always think like, man, if this was Dolly, she'd let, she would laugh it off. But like, the, I think what people don't understand is that this has happened to me so many times. Just usually it's from the far right. And this time it was from like, you know, bored Twitter teens and YA authors than the mainstream. The one kernel of truth, not to validate it anymore than it did. Easy, but I think some of where that comes from is not necessarily malicious, but sort of the hashtag woke mob thing. Mm -hmm. You were talking about you're not an activist. Right. And I agree with you, but I also kind of don't. You do tend to use your platform to talk about social issues, whether you're uh, intending to be an activist or not. Well, I always thought of myself as like a gateway drug. Yeah, yeah, okay. But like you you sort of occupy a space. And the, the trick with parasocial relationships is fans or the audience, your audience, will cast you as a character in their story and they see you in a certain way. And if they start to see you, whether you are or not, as some sort of activist voice, and then you do something even minor that doesn't kind of fit that internal narrative, mm -hmm. it is easy for the people who are parasocially attached to you, but maybe in an a healthy way or only through a periphery for that idea to warp. And there is a, a large collection of people out there where, sorry, Renee, I keep picking on you as the example, <laughs> but uh, like if Renee Ritchie were to say these same things, the way an audience would in bad faith jump on him versus you, they're not the same thing. And it, uh, some of that is gender, but I think some of that is just like the kinds of things you care about or the people that you hang out with or the, the topics of videos versus iPhone guy. I remember waking up one day and in my waking up cycle, I look at my phone and I just kind of like open up Reddit and I'm browsing for a second. And then I see on like r slash ask Reddit a post called what's the deal with Lindsay Ellis? Mm -hmm. And I'm just thinking like, where's this going? <laughs> what am I about to find out? Oh yeah, out? it's just like, what did she do wrong? Yeah, and I'm trying to like, I'm digging through, trying to figure it out, trying to look for the, and I see this tweet and I'm like, I look at him like, that was it? That was the, that's what people are upset yeah, and about? Yeah, and that's the thing, like, because on its surface, taking issue with it, because if you're familiar with both properties, it's a valid comparison. Even if you're <laughs> not, and I'm, I'm not familiar with any of this, but like, I read that and I think that in a room it would be, oh, did you mean this? And you would say, no, I didn't. Oh, okay. And then it's over. But the internet. Right. Yeah, exactly. Again, it was started by a YA author who had not seen the Disney movie. But the thing is, like, whenever you're in these media criticism spaces and, you know, in theory world, we do tend to go deeper into like colonialist attitudes and how they influence Western media. It is fair to interrogate that. And I first want to acknowledge that. But in order to really have an honest and informed opinion about 
whether or not there is a all Asians look alike <laughs> attitude belying this comparison. You have to go so deep in the weeds of like what the influences were for the two products, their production history and what the cultural overlap is. And that's why like the whole confidently wrong thing bothers me so much because like I feel crazy even having to explain this, you know, because it's like basically like they're based on two completely different cultures. So saying that the structural similarities can be assigned to that and not the fact that, you know, one is a ripoff of the other is, is just inaccurate. It's just not correct. But nobody who's acting in bad faith is going and doing this analysis. The reason to challenge it is because they want to challenge it or to challenge you, not because they're interested in the idea, but because they see an opportunity for a target. I, no, I mean, I think that's that's like, oh, God, like I'm so cynical about this because like the person who started it, the thread she made just lives in my head so rent free. I wish I hadn't seen it because like it really was just like targeting me because I guess she took it as like I made a dig at YA authors, which I didn't. But like, that's how she took it. And since she was a YA author and, uh, you know, a lot of her followers were, she knew that would like gain traction among her followers. And it did. And so then there, of course, are going to be people that genuinely do want to interrogate, like, well, we have to take this seriously a little bit, right? Like, and so I think that's fair. So I don't think it's fair to say, like, no one acting in good faith is going to really examine. No, so I said it backwards. What I meant is uh, only people acting in good faith will examine it critically. Only people acting in bad faith will go down this path of an accusation. Yeah. Or just assuming it. And, and you know, again, it was like bad timing. You know, like tensions were running really high. Your follow up tweet didn't help. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like so exhausting whenever I'm having to go back and like take accountability. Like what really was the problem? It wasn't so much what I said, but the way I handled it. I shouldn't have said anything. <laughs> yeah, 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 I agree. I agree. I remember calling you when I saw it and being like, what the fuck is wrong with the Internet today? I don't get this. And I don't know if I told you this. When I read the follow up tweet, I literally laughed out loud because it seemed like the kind of thing that if I were to write a comedy where a character does a thing accidentally on Twitter and then tries to correct in some way to a disastrous effect, this is the line that I would have given them. This is the line that I'd write for a comedy. Yeah. Although really the issue they took most with was that I said, like, come on, you crazies or something like that. <laughs> and then, then it's just like immediately it's just like, oh, well, you're calling people of color crazy. Oh, my God. <sighs> yeah, that's obviously what you were doing. Yeah. OK. Right. Well, it has to feel good watching the concept of Twitter be deconstructed by the world's richest baby. I mean, it it does, but not in relation to this, you know, because I, I think this tendency is exacerbated by Twitter. Oh, yeah, people are toxic and terrible regardless. But, but yeah, it's like this. It, it really is just kind of like a human nature thing. Like, you know, tall poppy syndrome is absolutely a thing. And I, and I feel weird even like saying it because then I'm positioning myself of like, oh, you know, like the Taylor Swift of like, oh, well, my haters are just jealous. <laughs> <laughs> but there is some truth to it, you know, <laughs> like, you know, because sure, like Natalie sure. made that video called Envy. You know, it was basically about how like Envy can be a powerful motivator to do people harm. And people hated her for that. You know, it was just like she just hit them right where they lived. And, uh, I, you know, if, if they were kind of growing bored with her before that, like whipped their eye right back up, even though I don't think she said anything like in that video that was unfair or untrue. Like it, it, it is a powerful motivator. People love to tear other people down when they feel like they have something they don't deserve, you know, because I'm uh, 
you know, why do you think Elon Musk is such a target? Like, I, I don't think he deserves the things he has, but it is funny watching him get made fun of. And it's funny watching him fail very Yeah, publicly. exactly. It is kind of cathartic. There's this thing in human nature that when someone has something we don't and you don't like that person, it's fun to watch that thing be taken away from them. And in Elon's case, it's not even money, it's power and clout and integrity. And I think that's kind of why this is more gratifying than when he like lost a bunch of like money to like Tesla stock, because it's just like these these decisions he is making are ruining this platform, which, you know, has caused me so much grief. And, you know, on top of that, he has no one to blame but himself. And so, like, it's the same tendency to take joy in that because <laughs> it is very funny but it's it's not super different to what people did to me it's kind of just like a i don't know i don't know i think in his case like he he actively harms people to say nothing of being an unethical billionaire no but that's how people justify it like i don't know if you keep track of the people who are still very ardent detractors of mine but their narrative is I that i to. i do do harm like I am harming marginalized groups. I am an active threat. <laughs> With your hot take tweets and your your Instagram. Yeah, mom yeah, exactly. Like what, what is it you're doing? I mean, I don't want to make a list, but, you know, it's just it'll be like, you know, didn't apologize for this thing, said X thing about X group or one of them is like neglected to address X issue in Y media. Uh, therefore erasure. Is that the same as laying off thousands of people or lowering safety standards below legal limits in your factories? Yeah. Like, you have to understand how terminally online these people are. <laughs> they see yeah, me yeah. as a problem in their communities. It's like that, that I have influence. And so, like, it is kind of similar because they legitimately do think I am doing harm, or at least they have convinced themselves that I am doing harm. And that is why them joining in a dog pile against me is justified. Yes. I do think that there is there are cases where some people might deserve it more than others. I mean, I agree. I mean, this guy I literally Elon bought Musk the fucking is, I mean, platform. Like, I know. I he like spent my, 44 my, uh, billion dollars to have these problems. No, my, my husband worked for SpaceX for a year. I have a lot of opinions on Elon and his practices. <laughs> I think he's a bad person. But like you gotta have a sense of perspective here. Like yes, Objectively, in the grand scheme of who affects humanity negatively more, I think there's a better case for Elon than for me. <laughs> However, there are a lot of very terminally online people <laughs> that feel that their efforts are better spent on me in no small part because they can affect me. Mm. That's you know a point I made in the video. It's like, you know, you can't take down Elon Musk. But you can take me down, you know, you can harm me and they know that. And so that's why people like me are a more desirable target. Because like the other thing is like a lot of these people are from marginalized groups in a structural sense. They don't have a lot of power, so they will take it where they can. And that's, you know, why they will tend to focus on people like me and Natalie and uh Abby and all all women for some reason. Hmm, weird. <laughs> instead instead of like Ben Shapiro. Yeah, it's not lost on me in this conversation that so many of the people who would be grumpy at you on Twitter, are, there's a strong overlap with the people who are like really in love with Elon. Um, no. I, I feel like Elon's stands are, are just very like, they'll go after anyone who criticizes him. But if you don't say anything about Elon, they don't care. 
<laughs> I don't know. At least when I when I go through Reddit, the sort of person who's and I guess even in real life, the sort of person who I know and that I've interacted with who's like really into Elon, that is not the beginning and end of their problematic views. Mm, yeah. What we're talking about is different because like, you know, again, talking about like the this idea of trashing and ostracism, you know, it's like an in-group, out-group thing. You know, people will kind of like perceive you as being in the group and they want you out because they feel like you're doing harm to the cause, whatever it is, as opposed to like Elon, who's not in the group. He's like above it. Bitch eating crackers, as you say. Yeah, exactly. So didn't you want to talk about Nebula? <laughs> <laughs> it's too bad we don't title these because bitch eating crackers would be a great episode. Bitch eating crackers. That'd be a good one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's the name of my uh, production company. <laughs> I mean, not bad. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. It's my incorporated bitch eating crackers, LLC. Get that filed. Are you back? What's the story here? What are we doing? Uh, well, I need money. Um, <laughs> is the story. We don't have to get too indoor baseball on this. You don't owe an explanation. No, I, I don't want people to think that I'm only making videos for the money, you know, because like I, the truth is I prefer writing novels, but do you get bored if that's the only thing I'm doing? I remember you calling me and telling me that like this whole time that you've been gone, you just kept writing video essays that you didn't make. Yeah, and never will because m- most of them were kind of in line with that, like airing dirty laundry or proving the haters wrong. And that, you know, again, it's just like kind of a waste of time, especially when your intent is to kind of fade away. Uh, such as it were. It's interesting that that would become a form of catharsis for you, given that you were intentionally stepping away, that you would use that as a way to like process some some thoughts that you're having. Yeah, I think it did. Like, I think I needed to like, even if I never produced them, like I needed to write it out and like, you know, do some research. And because that's the thing is like whenever so many people are telling you like you did something wrong and yes, this tweet is racist and you're a racist, like there's like there's two people in this world, people who like double down or people who spend a lot of time trying to understand where this accusation is coming from and if there's any validity to it. And so I feel like I had to spend a lot of time figuring this stuff out, not out of a need to defend myself, but just to kind of prove to myself that I wasn't crazy, you know, like. It was useful in that way. As you're writing these things, are you thinking to yourself, oh, maybe I'll maybe I'll make this one? Or was it intentionally, I just need to get this out? Or were you not even thinking about it? You know, I intended to make it. And then I, you know, once I kind of had it all out, I was like, I don't want to invite this. I don't want to start it all up again because it's just like so miserable. You know, just having every time someone mentions me on social media, a fight breaks out over whether I deserved it or not, you know? And like, if I put out more stuff about the controversy, that would just define my identity more than it already had. You could probably spin that into money. You could build a lucrative career probably uh-huh. on that controversy. I don't think you should. I think that'd be a terrible idea no. for you. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll give talks about mm-hmm. like, how cancel culture is yeah, yeah, <laughs> real yeah. and destroying my life. Yeah. Oh man, I would be a get for Fox. Oh no, if you <laughs> if you only cared about money, cynically, you only cared about money. I think maybe one potential play would be to like write a book about toxic woke culture and how it yeah, changed yeah, your yeah. mind on these. Oh yeah, and how how I used to be a Democrat and now I've I've turned on the wokes. Yep, yep. Now yep. I'm a cool girl. Now I'm a pick me. <laughs> yeah, you can like hang yeah. out with Tommy Laren or whatever. I do need money. There is that. <laughs> I think that the smarter play here is to not to kiss your ass, but like I think that you coming back with a Lord of the Rings video, like the least controversial topic you could possibly come up with. That's a genius move. And for a few reasons, my favorite of which is that there's no like, 
in the narrative of you're back, you're just doing it over here now. It's exactly mm -hmm. the kind of thing that you would normally make. Yeah. And that was kind of important for us to like make it up to our usual standards and spend like the same amount of time like on the edit that we usually do. You know, and I think we also needed to like have that space because like, you know, when you're so used to getting like a million plus views and it being not paywalled and everyone, you know, seeing it, it, it's kind of a paradigm shift to put that amount of effort into something that like is going to be seen by way fewer people. Mm. So I think it was easier to make the transition because it had been like a full year since I had released a video and we can still put like the same amount of effort in, but, you know, have a different set of expectations for what success looks like. But at the same time, it was like, it was nice because like the other problem with YouTube, when you get like so many views, is like, I can't even read like an oomph of the comments. I can't interact with anybody. But like, if I'm only getting comments on like Patreon, people who I should interact with more, it's a lot more manageable and it's not as overwhelming. Cause you know, people, the human brain was not meant to cope with this sheer volume of feedback that the internet provides. Yeah. You know, just the knowledge that millions of people out there are watching your content. All of them have an opinion and a lot of them express it, good or bad. And obviously most of it's good. Like, you know, most comments on YouTube videos are positive, but it's still overwhelming. And it just kind of eventually fades into meaninglessness because you can't cope with it. It's just too much. So it does give an opportunity to actually engage with what people are saying. Yeah, I was going to ask if you missed the comments, but I guess like between Patreon, your own subreddit, and then the post we had on the Nebula subreddit, there was yeah. a ton of comments. There, there, there was a ton of feedback. Yeah, and it, and it was like small enough that I could actually process it, but, you know, high quality enough that it was could gain some value from it. Yeah, because the, the audience had to click two more things to get there. And it's crazy. Yeah. Like We get comments uh, or emails or whatever from people who are like, you need to put comments on Nebula. I really miss it. Like the, It would be great for the audience. Be great for the, and because people pay to be on Nebula, you wouldn't get toxic comments. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I don't know what makes you think that's true. I don't know what makes you think yeah. that, that people paying money. In fact, I kind of see the opposite effect where because people spend money, they think that their voices should be heard more. They feel entitled to that because they paid money. I mean, that does happen, at least in my experience on Patreon. Like, I've had a couple times over the years where people just feel so entitled. And then, of course, you boot them and then they, like, go to war, mm -hmm. you know. Like, I gave you money. How dare you do this? Yeah, it, it is pretty rare. Rare isn't non-existent. And I'm not saying that everyone's going to be a terrible, toxic piece of shit. But I think that even better than money is the two extra clicks. Yeah. Sending somebody over to Patreon or sending somebody over to Reddit to comment on something. You know, Reddit's a public forum. Anybody could go there and comment. Yeah. But the only people who right. do are people who watch the video and then wanted to go comment. It's also valuable for other people to see, like... Uh people who aren't subscribed to Nebula be like, oh, okay, I see that there's this thing. Yeah, but people being able to see that there's discussion happening and maybe that entices them in, good. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I feel like there are multiple benefits to the comment section being outside of the paywall, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that in, in the case of uh, what you're doing right now, and it's always like you can tell that there's different kinds of audiences. There's the people who say, like, I'm really glad there are no comments. And there are the people who say, why don't you have comments? And when you mm -hmm. look at who those people follow or which creators they they tend to associate with, when I look at your audience or uh, like Anita's audience, those are the people who are really glad there's no comments because they recognize that that's going to get toxic fast. And then it's like, mm -hmm. 
you know, guys who make tech videos or explainer videos have the fans who are like, well, but I need comments. And so the the mm. way the audience sees the whole platform is colored very much by the creators who brought them in. Well, I think the thing about YouTube is it has always been more interactive and that has trained people, you know, because it'll be like, let me know in the comments what you think about this. And I think a lot of times people will upload the exact same video to Nebula where it'll be like there will be a call to action and but there's no comments. Mm. Because obviously, like, I don't make videos with a call to action and neither does Anita and neither does uh, most of the, you know, people that I know. They, you know, if you're going to interact, the call to action is go to Patreon. That's where the interaction happens. Right, right. It's kind of a reflection of, like, how people who watch a lot of YouTube have been trained to interact with video content because, like, calls to action are very important, you know, like you used to like sponsorship. You need that engagement. Yeah, you need the engagement. And if you're, you know, got a sponsorship, you got to get the clicks, you got to get conversions. So it's kind of a paradigm shift where it's like, it doesn't super make sense to have that on Nebula just because it's not that kind of platform. There's no algorithm. There's no nothing really to gain other than for someone to have like a, a place to say, great job, you know, <laughs> gold star. I think I've shared this before, but we talked about doing a thing where like, if we charged, I don't know, a dollar to leave a comment or $10 to leave a comment, we joked about mm. doing that. And we were, we almost took it seriously for just a, a, a minute like there. Nebula blue. <laughs> <laughs> and then somebody, it was, uh, I found it was like Jordan Herod or somebody was like, yeah, but if you do that, I'm going to get a lot of people who feel like they deserve a response from me because they paid money. And now I'm on the hook in a weird way. And it's like, oh, shit, mm. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, that's why I don't like super chats. Whenever I like do live streams, uh, I always turn off super chats because they make me so uncomfortable. Like, oh, you just paid me $10. Now I have to. Yeah, it's really easy to see the Internet the way you see the Internet. And it's harder to see the Internet the way everybody else or a different group of people experiences things. Yeah, yeah. I think that the same problem that we see with well-intentioned comments on our subreddit about how we need to have comments, which I always say, you're in the comments. What are you talking about? Yeah. It's not dissimilar to what we see on Twitter, where there's a curated experience and the more barriers of entry you have to a conversation, the better the conversation tends to be. Not saying that's universally true, but just kind of, you know, anecdotally. Mm -hmm. Whereas like if anyone can jump in and participate or if it goes super broad and anyone with like one tiny sliver of context wants to jump in with their I'm the main character now hot takes, mm -hmm. uh, things get shitty really fast. Yeah, Twitter is literally designed to facilitate that. It's, you know, it wants you to react without thinking. Everyone on Twitter literally is the main character all at the same time. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's like, I don't, I don't want to say that Reddit's better, but it does kind of lend itself to more metered responses. Because everybody's um, like, you're in a thread about a topic. It's not really about you. You're in a conversation where everyone can see yeah. the whole conversation. Whereas Twitter, you're only going to see the parts you follow. I think Twitter is also very about like your personal identity, your personal brand, mm -hmm. you know, because it'll be like, here's my Twitter profile, whereas Reddit is more about like whatever the topic is and what you have to add to that. So Twitter being very identity focused and, you know, like having verification being like this mark of whatever the fuck Elon thinks it is, <laughs> coastal <laughs> elites, <laughs> it is kind of indicative of the culture where you don't attack ideas, you attack people. Well, when I talk about Twitter in, in this case, I maybe I should clarify. I really like Twitter as a thing, as a mechanism, as a system. I really enjoy it. I think there are tons that of toxic you, people man. on there. <laughs> At least I used to. I've gotten a, in the 15 years I've been 15 and a half years I've been using it. I've gotten a ton of value out of it. 
twice. It's helped me launch new careers and make contacts and make friends and find new opportunities that I wouldn't have otherwise and find audience I wouldn't have otherwise. I curate the shit out of Twitter. I follow like 300 and something people, but I have probably 250 of them muted at least because you can't actually follow that many people and stay sane, I don't think. Like it's a heavily curated experience for me and I've slowly done that over 15 years. It wasn't like I had to sit down with a map one day and figure it out, but I've gotten a ton of value out of it. I understand that others have a terrible experience. Yeah, me too. And a point in history, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I think that's the thing is just like there has definitely been this shift over the years to like this, you know, once Twitter's user base stopped growing in the like mid late 2010s, they needed to wring more blood out of the same stones. And, you know, so the people who were there, they needed to keep there. You need to up engagement. And so it turns into this literally addictive thing where before it was a useful tool to, you know, interact with people and make contact, even if there were like, you know, shades of the same main character syndrome there before, it only became like a phenomenon once like the people who were on Twitter just decided to like make that their entire identity. Like I know people who like they don't have friends in the real world. They just have a followers on Twitter and watching Twitter collapse in real time and i think it, it might just be done because like elon has fired entirely too many people for the company to keep running like because if you lay off that many people x many more are going to resign and the only mm. people who are left are like sycophants and yes men and people who live in fear and uh, you know h1b people who can't leave or mm, they will get deported so there's just not enough bodies <laughs> to keep the platform running. Yeah, I reached out to our partner manager yesterday and I got an undeliverable. And I'm like, oh shit, we're on an island again. Yeah. We were working on this whole thing, doing syndication stuff, helping creators monetize on other platforms. We had a whole plan we were working on with Twitter behind the scenes to bring a bunch of video content over and for the creators who wanted to help them, like with Facebook, run their videos, use it as a platform to advertise their YouTube channel, but also monetize against the, the platform ads, just like they do on YouTube. No, help creators makes more money. And then now, as much as Elon is talking about how he wants Twitter to be even better at helping creators monetize than YouTube is, here we were with a catalog of like 15,000 videos working on that exact thing, and it just disappeared out from under us. And I don't even have another contact over there. Yeah. I don't even have a single additional email address I could reach out to. I have no idea. This thing's just dead as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And it's like, I have very mixed feelings about, because like I keep my ear to the ground and like, you know, see, you know, I'll, <laughs> I have, I'll like log on and I see all these people, people that I like and respect. You know, I, I feel like I just got clean and sober and I'm in AA and I'm just watching a bunch of drunks like convincing each other and themselves that they don't have a problem. <laughs> you know, it's just like, <laughs> let it go. People just convincing themselves like, ha ah, it's over, but not really. Oh, my God, what are we going to do? How am I going to get my fix? Mastodon uh -huh, is uh -huh. not going to give me my <laughs> fix. And I'm just yep, like, do yep. you not see the problem? <laughs> like, you are addicted. I understand. Took me a minute to, like, unwire the constant scrolling thing that Twitter trains you to do. It took me a while to, like, get that out of my head because it was like once I, you know, last year, I guess it was like, 18 months ago at this point, I just remember, like, you just b become so accustomed to it whenever it's gone, you're just like, what do I do with my head? I just did not realize how much it had trained me to constantly crave this low quality, 
feed of just constant, constant information. I was at the gym this morning with my friend Jeff, and he mentioned he woke up today. I think it was because of the election and the Elon thing. He woke up today to like 550 unread tweets. And I'm like, wait a minute, like mentions? And he's like, no, just in my timeline. I'm like, you read them all? You read every tweet uh, from everyone you follow? You read literally? And he's like, well, you know, I, I skim. I was like, what the fuck, man? That sounds so... I'm glad you found that many interesting people who are not damaging to your mental health. That's great. Mm. But also, I mean, maybe that's too much. Is, is he, though? Like, because that's <laughs> the other thing is, like, people never really want to admit how damaging it is to their mental health until it's too late. Well, he follows mostly folks in the tech industry, like other programmers and app people. And so it's not really a toxic mm -hmm. community in, in a politically charged sort of way. It's just people talking about their experiences and a lot of people agreeing with each other on politics. I don't think there's anything like inherently damaging in there. But I do think it's funny that I can't imagine a world. And he's not the only friend I have like this where they have to read every tweet. They like get caught up. I used to be like that. And then one day I said, I cannot possibly care about all of this. So I mm -hmm. won't. And I just stopped. I've never even tried again. After. I don't miss it at all. Not even a little bit. Yeah. And that's another thing. Like, I think that people, you know, because a lot of the people like after I deleted my stuff for good, were just like, you spend all this time building this career and you're just going to walk away. Like they just could not understand not wanting like this, you know, constant source of validation and attention. It's fun to be the main character. Not for me. I mean, some <laughs> people like don't want that, you know, I hate to belabor a point, but it's just like, it's really indicative of just like this attention economy where like people cannot wrap their heads around this idea that like some people just don't want it. Some people don't want the constant stream of validation. They don't want the constant stream of information. You know, it's exhausting to try to stay on top of everything and to be expected to stay on top of everything. Yeah. I like it when a tweet gets like 100 likes. I don't like it when a tweet gets 100,000 likes. Yeah. It's this paradox of like you're always trying to get engagement, but once you do get engagement, it's miserable. It's just a miserable experience. Because anybody can respond and their voice has equal weight to yours. Right. One of my least favorite Twitter phenomenon is people complaining about Twitter on Twitter. Like, if you don't like it, just leave. Mm -hmm. You can just leave. Just leave. You, you, you don't, you don't leave. have to stay here. Go outside, touch some grass. <laughs> you could you could just Walk go. Walk your dog. Jesus. Nothing is stopping you. I added twitter.com spelled out to my my mute filters cuz it's like people like to use a certain vernacular when they complain about Twitter. And it's like mm -hmm. I, I'm not even saying the complaints are wrong. Those are valid complaints that is your experience. But why stay? Yeah, I guess that's the thing. It's like it's one thing to like have that complaint on occasion, but if you're if you find yourself complaining about this for years and years and years, and then that's kind of ends up being like the majority of what you talk about. Like, what the fuck? Do you not do you not see like you are in a toxic relationship <laughs> to this platform? And like, <laughs> leave, leave her, girl. You can do better. <laughs> and you're a great voice to have say this because you did. You recognized that it wasn't healthy and you stepped the fuck away. Yeah. I want to say that, like, I have some friends that spend too much time on Twitter, but are not harmed by it. But I don't believe them, like, because yeah, I see yeah. I see the harm that that is done to them. They feel like the cost is worth the Twitter. Yes. And <laughs> it's like, you know, I can't tell them what to do. It's just it's frustrating to watch. The bird juice is not always worth the squeeze. And that's just a fact. Yeah. And for, for someone yeah. like me, I enjoy it. I like it as a thing. Uh, I've I've come to terms with 
this thing is what this thing is and I can handle that. And if that that's not for everybody and that's okay, I'm not going to try to convince anybody else that they should like it. Especially through this thing, I've tried to stay out of it and keep tweeting the things I'd tweet, you know, mostly promoting Nebula shit. But then they fucked up my verified check mark and I'm infuriated. <laughs> and I don't care, like if they had just taken it away or something, that's one thing. But now I'm stuck with a verified badge that says that I paid for it. I did not pay for my verified badge. Now they're just lying about me. Bio. This, pl- lying. <laughs> this platform <laughs> that I've supported for 15 years is lying to people about me in my own bio, and I am mad. That's where they lost me. Yeah, I'm that, that was the last straw. Wasn't wasn't the like you know destabilization of democracy or? Well, that was mostly Facebook. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm gonna blame Zuckerberg and Cambridge Analytica more than I'm gonna blame Twitter. Well, okay. Twitter, Twitter certainly didn't help. We could argue that Donald Trump ruined Twitter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, we could stop talking about Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Wrapping back to my, my question from a minute ago, you're, you're going to do more now, right? Yeah, we, we have a couple more in the pipeline that are like mostly written. We just need to record and edit them. And, you know, this is like, again, I don't have any interest in doing like super in-depth stuff anymore. I just don't have like the brain space. I like that we're in fluff piece territory where I'm asking you questions I already know the answer to. Yeah. Well, I mean, other people don't because they, they have asked. Like, it has been asked because I, I didn't want to publicly commit to things because I don't really know because book stuff kind of has to take priority. Of course. But, you know, at the same time, as we were doing this Lord of the Rings episode, we were reading a lot of like Tolkien's letters and the Silmarillion and stuff like that. And to me, you know, the best argument against death of the author as a literary concept is the works of Tolkien. Hmm. So, you know, we started like writing that as we were writing the Lord of the Rings episode. And, you know, we have another one that is like, I guess, going to be kind of a surprise. That's going to be the next one. And, you know, just some other stuff I'd been like pecking away at stuff that isn't too zeitgeisty, you know, because I I just don't super have interest in like, you know, because everyone's like, what do you think of House of the Dragon? I'm like, it's fine. You know, I I don't have (laughs) I don't have any strong opinions about it. Like, what do you think of Rings of Power? Like I said my piece, I you know, I, I think it sucks, but like not in an interesting way. <laughs> I'm excited enough. We don't have to go down the Game of Thrones path here, but like House of the Dragon, it's good enough that I'm rewatching Game of Thrones and appreciating it for what it is. Yeah, it's too bad Game of Thrones stopped at season five or season six. <laughs> well, the, the rumor is that there's going to be a Jon Snow show that like gives the God. real ending and they fix some oh stuff. God, I'm like, uh, you know, oh. what? it can't get worse. It can't get yeah. worse. <laughs> I mean, I'm just going to cringe and totally be there on opening night like yeah, yeah all right yeah, fine. Yeah. you got me yeah I'll, I'm, I'm here for it you got my number <laughs> yep like uh if if you can make that ending less dumb and i've heard some fan theories or, or fan fictiony ways to fix it and i'm like oh, maybe, maybe there's something in here maybe there's something that could be fun to watch not like high art high literature fun to watch but like marvel movie fun to watch like i come away going oh yeah i feel good about that mm-hmm. i don't need to be literature i just need it to be like give me something somewhere between like iron man 3 and endgame in marvel quality and i'll be happy Give me that ending. Yeah. Well, okay. Um, I, I guess I, I just don't have any fucks to give about Game of Thrones anymore. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair um, enough. My, I, I'm fucked out. The future videos thing. If the first one, all things considered, was at least within the neighborhood of being as financially viable as if the video had gone on YouTube. And from mm-hmm. our perspective, watching, you know, we have to watch churn rates and all these things. It takes us a while for a thing to be profitable, but we can project out. And where this is sitting now, 
Like we adjust the numbers for what the next thing is going to be. And assuming it continues on this path, I don't know if the first one, if the Lord of the Rings video was more or or, or like right on the line of, of lucrative for you relative to doing a thing on YouTube, but I'm pretty sure the next one is. Mm-hmm. And that is kind of an incredible thing. Incredible that like, this isn't, we're just going to throw money and try to win you over to our platform like vessel style deal. This is like literally based on actual numbers and a profitable business. We can find this magical scenario where it actually is better and more financially lucrative for the creator to do this versus the posted up on YouTube path. Sponsorship model. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's kind of incredible. It's more like Netflix, right? Where it's just like, you're not, it's not AdSense. It's you get paid for a production plus royalties, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, such as it were. Yeah, and in our case, it actually is a, a profitable venture. You were here, what, like two weeks ago? And we, yeah. we went through numbers. And I'm looking at this, and the numbers have even gotten a little bit better since then. And it's like, I look at this, and it's like, Ooh. well, shit. For this sort of niche streaming platform that we built and the business model that we've created for it, it's impressive to me that a thing like this is even possible. And I think that, like, you know, we, we built the platform, built the tools to, to get there, but... I love the story of it being you who is the first person to kind of unlock the right way to get there. And I think you're right that being gone for a while and then coming back is a big part of the magic. I also think that like you've just earned an audience over time that really believes in you. Yeah, and that's why I want to dispel the dumb, stupid, your audience turned on you shit. It's not true. It's not what happened. <laughs> but that's kind of always, I guess, been like my benefit is like having an older skewing audience that is kind of interested in more in-depth stuff. It definitely helps with this sort of thing where people are like, if they go to Nebula for me, there's plenty of other stuff that they can find there that they may not have found like through the YouTube algorithm that would be more in line with their interests. Do you see like this shift for you? Is this like there's an opportunity and it's convenient or do you think of this as like any kind of I don't know, this might be too grandiose, but like, does this represent a a shift in what being a creator could mean? And not not about us, but more about like where the state of the industry is. For the thing about YouTube is it's social media as well as being a content distributor, mm-hmm. you know? And so Nebula can't be that. Like, I can't release a video to Nebula that's like, hey, here's my book tour dates, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there there are things that YouTube can do that are like more informal and more like brand building platform. Like I'm going to advertise this thing that like you can do on Nebula, but not really. Like I feel like at, at the most you would do on Nebula would be like redirect to like a, a merch store or something like that. That's the difference is like, you know, YouTube is social media really kind of first and foremost. Like that was what it was created for. And like Nebula is a streaming platform, first and foremost, in the vein of like Netflix or Hulu or something. So the business model is going to be more structured in that way. It's interesting to have watched Nebula grow because now there's this sort of like expectation of like, well, when can I get on it? You know, I have X, Y and Z qualifier that like Lindsay has like because I think that's sort of the danger of framing it as like this is a safer space because you know it's not it's just a, it's just a paywalled platform same as any other mm-hmm. I feel it then other people that are again in these communities will be like well why not me what do they have that I don't because at the end of the day it is like you know it's a talent agency <laughs> there's you know 
you, you can invite and or not invite whoever you want. But yeah, it has been interesting to see people kind of start to get, I guess, entitled is the word. That's the exact word that was in my head. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it seems kind of mean because I'm like, you know, sitting pretty over here like, woo, I'm actually getting paid. <laughs> but, but then again, I've, I've been I've been with the company for a while, so it's OK. And that's just it. I've toyed with should we put up some thing on a website somewhere saying like how to become a Nebula creator. And mm -hmm. I don't do it because like Netflix doesn't do that. Disney Plus doesn't right, do yeah. that. Why should we have to do that? Yeah, exactly. Because like there are ways to approach like Netflix, for instance, but Netflix doesn't have a submit here button. Right. We've had people do things like try to launch Twitter campaigns to, to get our attention. Uh -huh. Oh, yeah, I've seen. <laughs> I'm just like, you know, it's like Kill Bill, like, Wee! Yeah, yeah. Like that won't work because it can't work. I can't reward that or we're going to have a thousand tiny creators with 200 people in their audience trying to tweet at us. I know. I guess the thing is like that definitely works in some online subcultures, obviously, because if it didn't work some of the time, they wouldn't do it. Uh, but it, 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 that is just like, ugh. I, <laughs> it's like that. that's a quick way to get blacklisted, kids. Don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's also like a the sense of like, oh, if you don't reach out to me, if you don't bring me onto Nebula, if you don't answer my emails, I'm going to send an angry mob of my fans after you. It's like this yeah. isn't a person I want to work with. I don't yeah, want to exactly. work with somebody where I'm under threat. Yeah. And there's so many people like on YouTube that kind of operate under that principle. But like the, the truth of it is this isn't social media, but there is a social component behind the scenes where the creators that I talk to, the creators we bring in are the creators that our creators bring to me. Many of our most diverse creators are people that you sent my way. People mm -hmm. that, that you're like, hey, you should talk to this person, let me do an intro, or you should reach out to this guy. Princess, mm -hmm. T1J, I mean, I could go on forever. Cat, there's all these great people where I didn't have to do a bunch of research and figure out, is this person a toxic shitbird? They're socially validated to a level already. So right. when I go into it, I know probably not problematic. And there's always going to be some level of variance and personal experience that comes with that. But we've had overall a really good track record of kind of just sticking to the people who are recommended by our people. Mm -hmm. And anything is who you know, right? Right. No. And like, don't get me wrong. I was not like, I just want to set the record straight. I was not looking to increase diversity at standard. I'm just extremely nepotistic. <laughs> I, I think the diversity was a byproduct of how you you sort of run your social circle. Yeah, yeah, byproduct of my nepotism. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to, to frame it like you were trying to solve a problem, or that I was. Because I also referred like H-Bomb and Big Joel, so don't worry, mm -hmm. there are white guys in there too. Diversity is good in all directions, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> it's but a yeah, diverse array of whites. <laughs> <laughs> Fifty shades of white. But like... Why do I keep picking on Renee? If Renee Ritchie comes to me and says, like, here's somebody you should really <laughs> talk to, or if Tierzu Patch comes to me, or if Joseph from Real Life Lore, or Maggie Mayfish, if any of these people come to me and say, hey, here's this cool creator, you should talk to them, I add them to a list, or I say, could you please do an intro? Mm -hmm. And as long as it doesn't get avalanche buried in my inbox, which has happened mm -hmm. a couple of times, then I have mm -hmm. conversations and we usually end up bringing those people in. But people who just like write to me out of the blue, unless right. it's a big name that was kind of on my dream list anyway, I usually don't even reply because I always worry that whatever I say is just going to get published somewhere and will be like read with the least good faith possible. Yeah, there's a danger of being perceived as clickish. And we I think that's be. fair. 
But at the same time, it's like, yeah, it's fair, but like, it's also a private platform. Like you own it, you can do what you want because like there needs to be some vetting. And the quickest way to do that is like through people who like, you know, and trust have good taste and have a proven track record and who have already spent hours and hours watching X person and be like, okay, I have a good idea of what they're about. And then therefore recommending you to look at them. A lot of times, like people I recommended, most of the times I was friends with them, but some of the time I wasn't, I was just like, I thought they made good content. So it's not just like people recommending their friends. It's, you know, people who might see someone who is like up and coming and has a lot of potential or is already really polished despite having a smaller platform and then making the recommendation you know, has not always turned out well. But Uh, but I find that creators generally admire other creators. It's almost like in stand-up comedy where comedians love to watch other comedians and they love to interact with other comedians. Creators love interacting and building communities with other creators. And they love studying each other's work and, and drawing inspiration from each other's work and collaborating. I think it's part of the magic that has allowed YouTube to build what it's built. And I think that that carries through when somebody comes to me and says, here's this great person. I think we should bring them into the community. I can trust that, like, we didn't give a bonus for referrals. Right. You should, though. Like, <laughs> no, because then we're just incentivizing people to bring us I'm everybody. Kidding. I'm kidding. That's a joke. And, like, even, like, the way our equity is structured and everything else like that, like, if you bring somebody in, you got to... This you, is an American Express. Yeah. You got to be sure that that person is going to be a net positive. Yeah. And so there's, like, filtering mechanisms, and that's really useful. I don't have the time right, to go yeah. and, and, and watch everything on YouTube. But across our 150, 160 creators, everybody else kind of does. There's plenty of creators out there studying each other that I can trust that when I hear, yo, this channel is amazing, this creator is doing some dope shit, that they're probably telling the truth. And I have signed creators where I've never even watched a single one of their videos because they were recommended highly by somebody I trust implicitly. Mm-hmm. Of course, I watch after. But like I've had <laughs> conversations with people where it's like I know going into that call, sight unseen, no conversation. I know going in, this is going to work. That is so much better than having like a submission form. What am I going to do with a submission form? That sounds terrifying. Yeah, yeah. No, we don't need to do that. You know, that's the other thing. It's like nobody wants to work with someone who's like going to try to guilt trip them into giving them something. <laughs> like, I feel I feel like I shouldn't have to say this. Don't do it. Um, <laughs> I don't know if those people are listening this deep into the show. Yeah, like just make good work. Be nice with to your peers, make connections. Eventually you'll get your due. It's funny how often this comes up. We should like get this on a t-shirt or something. But I always end up saying, as the show goes on, you can get more and more honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the people who are listening at the end, they're with us. <laughs> yeah, the people who hate you can't stand the sound of your voice, especially since I do have a pretty gnarly sinus infection and I do need to go take some Advil because my head is killing me. <laughs> well, uh, just stay off of Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, no, for once, it's not it's not hurting me because it is changing by the hour and it is deeply funny. Yeah, I'm I'm watching Rome burn. And while it may be sad because I kind of liked Rome, the new emperor is kind of a dick bag. So yeah, I'm not I'm not living for this new emperor. Yeah, I'll enjoy it while it lasts. But I'm also enjoying the fire. I feel like I've earned some schadenfreude. Yeah. 